In the old days, there was someone called a conductor for each country. Their task was to lead the orchestra. The orchestra was a big bunch of people playing various instruments to provide backing sounds for the artists singing on stage. An instrument was a piece of machinery built to create various sounds to create music. You know the thing that we today do with computers. Now that our millennials are up to date, let me present today's guest, Kobe Oshrat, who has arranged and conducted five Israeli Eurovision songs, of which he composed three. This is Eurovision Legends, and I'm your teacher, Emil Lövström. Vetudaraba, my friend Uri Kabiri, for helping me with the contact. Eurovision legend, Veshalom, Kobe Oshrat. Thank you. I, I love the fact that young person like you are interested in the history of the Eurovision because Eurovision used to be a great pro- project. It really keep people together. And you are a legend, Kobe. You are a legend. Thank you. Uh, how are you? I'm great. I don't know if you know, but I had a very uh, serious medical procedure about four months ago. I had a, a kidney transplant that I needed to, I, I had a donor who donated me a, ki- a kidney and I'm, I'm, I'm okay now, I'm feeling very good and everything is great. I'm very happy that you are well now. Thank you. You were born in 1944, one year before the Second World War ended and four years before the creation of the State of Israel. What was your childhood like? Well, my childhood was great, although When looking back, I understand that my parents were very poor, actually, because we lived two families in two rooms apartment. And I used to sleep in the wintertime at the corridor and summertime in the balcony under the sky. But I didn't feel anything. My childhood was great. I was born actually as a Palestinian. I was born in Haifa, which is a north city of Israel. And my childhood was great. Israel was different, totally different than now. It was one radio station, no television at all, but we were happy. We, we used to listen to the hit parade that came from Ramallah. They broadcast the English hit parade. So that's how we learned about the Beatles and, after people, and other groups. And uh, I served in the army in a detainment group. And right after I uh, was released from the army, I started my musical career. I didn't have time to study anything. I never studied music in my life. But God gave me a nice amount of talent to uh, cover it, the, the, the fact that I didn't study anything. Yeah, you are very, very talented. And in the 70s, you became one of Israel's most prophetic songwriters and worked with artists like Avi Toledano, Chocola Menta Mastic, Ilanit and Galia Tari, just to mention a few that are well known to the Eurovision audience. Ah. Israel took part in Eurovision in 1973, but it wasn't until 1978 the song to represent Israel was chosen using a festival. Before then, they were selected internally. Tell me, didn't you submit the song Nesich Hachlumot, more known as Valentino, in 1977? Well, the story is that Ilanit was the first one to represent Israel in 1973 with the song Eishan. Shamra, 
they used to do a great competition to find the singer that will go to the Eurovision. In 1977, the radio and the television committee decided to send Ilanit again because she was successful and she was experienced enough. And we were asked many people to write a song. And I wrote it with Shimrit O, which always also wrote Hallelujah. And I thought that we had the bingo because the story about Valentino was very interesting. He was a very handsome man. And the story says that uh, every year on the day he was depart, some red roses is appearing on his grave. Nobody knows who, who is putting it. And I was sure that they will, and everybody loved the song, but the head of the committee, his name was Tzachi Shimoni, he we said, Israel cannot be represented with a foreign song as Valentino. What about the, all the fields and the, and the mountains of Israel? What about Israeli song with Israeli subject? And he disqualified the song. And then year, year after, I sent it again with Gali that I was already do a, doing an album with her, her first album. And it came third in the pre-competition. <laughs> So in 1978, you competed with two songs, Nesich Hachlomot, more known as Valentino, and Bikashti, sung by Nava Bruchi. You know what's the meaning of Bikashti? I asked. Yeah. That's the, what's the title of the song. And the, the singer, Nava Bruchi, she had a, a, an astrologist who lived in Germany. And she went to see him, especially to ask him what will happen. And he tell her, look, You're going to win the Eurovision with this. <laughs> It came last place in the Israeli pre-competition. The story, the song is actually very nice, but didn't succeed in that uh, competition. But they, I sent also Hallelujah in the same year. And he told me, you, these two songs came into the competition for you. He said, Hallelujah, and, and what the other one? He said, no, Hallelujah was not accepted. He said, how come? He said, the committee said, it's too obvious. It's a, it's, it sounds like American song. We, you know, we, we were looking for something else. 
I think that they all were guided by some power from up. They tell them not to, to, to have the song this year because if it would, if it would, would be accepted, we were fighting Abani B. They either was Abani B or Hallelujah. So we let Isaac Cohen win in French with Abani B and bring the competition to Jerusalem in the year of the peace with Egypt. The whole air was full with good karma and it was the right place to, to perform the song. Was it the group Habibi who sang the Hallelujah demo? Yes, because it was not accepted in the first year. In 1979, I, I met one of the group in the street and asked him, would you like that we, I'll send again the song that we sent last year? And he said, of course. But he forgot to tell me that there's an agreement between the people in the group that it has to be anonymous. Not, not, everybody has to accept it. You cannot decide without the three others. And she was in a performance in Haifa a month before, and she was electrified. Some, some, she got electrical, electrical shock. And she said, I don't want to perform, I don't know, and she refused. So I called the committee of the Eurovision, I told them, look, I don't have a group. Take the song out from the competition. And Gali Atari and her manager just came in the same second to the, the, his office and asked him, look, do you have a song? And the, and the guy said, just now Kobe Oshrat called me and told me that he doesn't have a group. So here's the song. Shlomo Tzach, that was the producer of Abani B also, jumped on it like crazy and called me immediately to come to his office. And I said, look, but I don't have a group. This is a song, a group song. It's not a solo song. He said, you have Gali, make a group. And I found three guys that are the same vocal uh, tone as the guys from Habibi. And the first thing that the group did was winning the Eurovision. That's the story. Do you still have the demo that Habibi sang? Of course I have it. I sent it to you. Great. They're singing it beautifully, actually. The lyrics of Hallelujah are written by Shimrit Or. Tell me, what was your reaction when you first saw the lyrics of the song? So let me tell you, this is another fascinating story. Because we decided to do a song for a group, not for a soloist. Because most of the participants were only solo singers. And since ABBA, there was no really good group that sang in the Eurovision. So, the group that we looked upon to, to do the same was Manhattan Transfer, that used to be a group that sang with beautiful harmonies. So she went to her home, and, and I went to, I was living in this near, city near Tel Aviv called Batyam, 
And I remember I was sitting, it was Friday morning, I was sitting on my piano, trying to start to find any first line for the song. And I had two or three lines that I already liked, like half of, half of the verse. And then Shimrit is calling me and said, are you sitting down? I said, why? I said, I have the word, it will knock you down. I said, what was the word? I said, hallelujah. I said, are you crazy? We will have problems with the religious people in, in Israel. <laughs> then I understood that all the Christian world is saying hallelujah. So it was like a brilliant idea. And then she read me the first verse and was sitting on my melody like she was with me in the same room. It's again some superpower who sent us two to write the song. I'm sure that was somebody upstairs that we call him God that sent me and her to write this song. Galiatari together with Milk and Honey participated in the national final and actually only won over Tsvikapik with two points. As we all know, Hallelujah won the Eurovision on home soil, and the song is probably the most covered song ever from the competition. More than 400 cover versions of the song is made, possibly with the exception of Volare, maybe. Do you remember if you had any favorite of the other songs that participated in Eurovision in Jerusalem 1979? Well, I was very afraid of few songs. I was not sure at all that we are going to win. And if you see the, the voting, until there was 19 countries participating in this competition because Turkey backed off in the last minute. It was supposed to be 20. Yeah. Is it true that you had a crush on Sandra Remer who competed for the Netherlands? How do you know this? <laughs> it was amazing. I had, there was two singers. First of all, we were very afraid from, from Germany. It was Genghis Khan. Yeah. And then was Greece with the Socrates, Socrates superstar. And there was a Denmark with Disco Tango was very strong also. So, and I would thought that Colorado, with, what was her name? Sandra Riemer. First of all, she was a beautiful woman and she yeah. was a great singer. I loved her more than all the singers in the competition. I was afraid because the song was good and she performed it very good.
heard that you got a great offer from Sticka Andersson, the fifth member and manager for the group ABBA during this Eurovision week. That this is story that still pain. I have still pain when I'm talking about it. I have still pain in my head because you know all the delegations stayed together in in Hilton that was very close to the hall where the competition took place. And after the rehearsal, we used to hang on on the bar of the hotel. And every night, I saw a guy that drinking like crazy in the on the bar, and he had his red cheeks. And I, I didn't know who this guy was. And three days before the competition, when I was occupied with the, the complaint that was against me because my song was long in 17 seconds, the manager of, of all the delegation sat in the rehearsal to see, to hear what are the dangerous songs and how they can disturb them. And the Swiss manager, he sat with a time stopper and he found that my song was long in 17 songs. It should be three minutes, period. And he complained to them to the uh, committee of the Eurovision with a member, I don't know if you remember, you're too young. It was a guy, it was, it was French guy called Frank Neff. Yes, yes, of course, yes, yes. And Frank Neff called me up and said, look, Mr. Oshrat, you have a beautiful song, but it's long in 17 seconds. If you're not going to shorten it, you're going to be disqualified from the competition. I was like, a whole building was on my head. Because this song, especially, the, the score was built with a needle and threads. Everything was precise to bring something out like a domino. Everything is falling up. I didn't sleep for two nights until I found a solution how to do it. I, I shortened the end and I hurried the speed, the tempo. But while I was doing this, the representative of, of CBS in Israel come to me, he's, he's a friend of mine, and said, the representative of CBS Sweden wants to see you in his suite. He didn't say, who is it? And I'm coming up to his, and I see this guy who was drinking every night, and he told me, look, your song is going to win the competition. It was three days before the competition. And I want to sign you for the next five years of all the things, songs you're going to write. He said, okay, I will answer you. And I went down and even he didn't bother to answer him because I was so occupied with founding the solution. But he never mentioned to me, my friend, that this is Sting Anderson, the producer of ABBA. And this is probably the big mistake of my life, professional life. After the victory with Hallelujah, Galiatari and Milk and Honey traveled all over Europe, and the next single release was a disco hit with the group. How come you choose to go such a different route with the second single? Didn't the audience expect a hymnon part two? Yes, after this, the, the complete Hallelujah. I understood that I have to sit down and write the next single for the group, and I was I was terrified because I don't know how can I do something that will be bigger than Hallelujah. So I asked Shlomo Tzach, the our producer, to go around the world because he was already known because he won the competition a year before. I asked him to call all the publishing house in Europe and ask for songs for the group. Said if I cannot come with the songs, 
never mind we'll wear with the crown. We need to have a second single that will, will be as, as strong as Hallelujah, at least. And came songs from all over the Europe, including songs from Elton John. Quite shitty, let me tell you. <laughs> all of them was nice, sat down and wrote a few songs. Between them was Goodbye New York and The World is Like a Roundabout. And we sent it to Polydor International, which was our company. And there was a, I remember there was a, a huge com, a convention of Polydor from all over the world in New York. And when they heard Goodbye New York, they said, this is the single. And I am the small producer from Israel told them, look exactly what you said right now. How come that after a pink song and hymn on, like you said, like Hallelujah, you come with a rock and roll. And they, you know, they change all the image of the group, the, the different haircut, different dresses, everything was more cool than Hallelujah. And I begged them not to go out with, with Goodbye New York. Nobody listened to me. And somehow it worked nice in a few countries, but I believe very much in that song, Goodbye New York. Do you know? Did you hear this song? Yes, I love Goodbye New York. And let's listen to the great song. mistake taken by the greatest producer in the world, Polydor International, that they, they didn't understand what you just told me. You understood immediately that after a song like Hallelujah, you cannot change the whole sound of the group. The, the next song should be very, if not the same, close to the first one. And then the change should be gradually, not immediately. Yeah. Nobody listened to me. Galiatari wanted to have a solo career and, from what I understand, refused to take the path with you. What happened? She signed a contract that she is equal member in, in a group called Milk and Honey. The, the contract was two for two years. Right after we, we won the Eurovision, her parents, her family started to say, to whisper on in her ear that only because she was half famous at that time. Because of her, we won the competition and nobody did nothing. Nobody wrote a song, nobody made the arrangement, nobody made the, the costumes, nobody, nobody sang except her. And she tried to have more demands that broke the, the original contract. In the beginning, we, we went through to her because we wanted to, to continue the success. I'm telling you, Polydor International believed that we are the next ABBA. They put us on us in 1980, when we went to recordings in London. They gave us $250,000 as a... As a um, in advance. In advance on the record. If you think what was $250,000 in the terms of 1980 now... Yeah, like, we're talking about millions. So they believed us very much. Wherever we traveled in Europe, there was only hotels first class, restaurants first class. And we were really on the edge of 
great success. But when the record company started to understand that I begged her, I told her, Gali, let's finish the first album of the group. Let's enjoy from the success. And then I will do, do you a solo album with whatever you want. Please just go on with us. She didn't want, she wanted this. She wanted to, at every place that we come, that the, the announcer will say, Milka Nanning featuring Gali Atari. But that was not what was written on the contract. And some slowly, slowly, we had the, the call between the boys and her was bigger and bigger and bigger until we didn't have a choice. We told her, we, told her, we took her to a meeting and told her, look, here's the contract you signed. Are you ready to follow it or not? If not, goodbye. And uh, I'm sure she regrets until now because she had a very nice career in Israel. She's a great singer. I always liked her. But she missed for us and for her a great international career. That's for sure. And you know what? It's funny enough you're asking. Yesterday, Shlomo Tzach, my producer, he called me up and said, Look, Kobe, I just listened to all the songs of Milk and Honey. And I'm pissed off like it was 40 years ago about Gali Atari, that she killed our international career. We are good friends these days, Gali and me, and uh, we meet and everything is okay. But and you know what? The song was was choose to be the song of the 70th years anniversary of Israel. And I called her up and I said, "Look, this is a great opportunity to put the group together after so many years that we were apart. Are you ready?" And she said, "Yes." So I called the boys, told them Gali is accepting to do the the song with you. Are you ready? Say, of course we are ready. They always were ready. And then start, like old times, started the demands. In the original version, she's singing the first verse alone. In the second one, there's uh, Ruven Gwirzuk joining her. And in the third verse, everybody is joining. So she started to demand, I want to sing two verses alone. I asked the boys, are you accepting that? They, say, they said, yes, we're accepting it. And then she demanded to sing three verses. All, 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 the, all this through her manager. I was not talking to her. I only called her the first time to ask her if she's ready to do it with the group. 
And then I started, after I had her acceptance, the three verses, the guys accepted it. So it was 11 in the evening when the, her manager told me, okay, we're doing it. 10 o'clock in the morning, the next morning, he told me, Gali, I'm sorry, Gali is not ready to do it. She blew it up again. And then uh, our culture minister, she chosen a young singer called Eden Ben Zaken. At the moment, Gali heard that, that she is singing, she jumped off, she wants to join. So they did it together. That's a story. We missed a great success in Europe. In 1981, Milk and Honey were back in the pre-selection Kadam with a song composed by you. Tell me about the song Serenada. Well, again, I thought that Serenada was a good word that is understood in Europe because we were still singing only in Hebrew from Israel. And we still had the problem that nobody understands Hebrew. And it sounds like Chinese to most of the European country. I think it was a great song, but uh, Habibi took this year, I think. Yeah. Halayla won Kdam and Serenada ended fourth. Yeah. And the year after, in 1982, you competed with two songs, El Ahor with Itza Cohen and La Himalaya by Sasi Keshet. And Itzhak Cohen was my first guest ever in this podcast. So, so it's over 50 episodes ago. And he told me that he was not mentally well in 1982 and that he therefore regret competing. Did you notice that something was, wasn't right with him? No. He, uh, he, of course, he, you know, at least he, he sang the song at last. I don't know if he had uh, mentally problems. I know that he suffered from a nervous breakdown a year after the competition and thanks God Shlomo Tzach was taking care of him and bought him a flat that he had until today. And La Himalaya was also trying to find an international subject that everybody will, will understand. Was. And the dress was made by one of the great designers of Israel. He also passed away. And I believed in the two songs. Actually, I believed in the Himalaya that he can make it. 
Himalaya came four and uh, Elahor ended in a seventh place. Do you think Avi Toledano was the rightful winner this year with the song Hora? Yes, of course. I understood that in your country it was very bizarre, the word Hora. Yes, in Swedish it's a hooker. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so they have to explain, and it actually it's good because it's good as public relations, as, as far as public relations, it was very good because everybody asked him what is Hora, and he has to explain that Hora is the Israeli national dance. Yeah. I think that he, it was the right song to win. And of course, you don't argue with success. It came second in the yes. the same year. Who won it? Ambition ah. Freedom. Nicole uh, is really Belgium, no? No, Germany. What was the name of the guy who wrote all these? Uh, Ralf Siegel. Ralf Siegel. If you, t- if you talk to him, tell him very much regards for me. In 1984, Israel withdrew from the contest since it was aired the same day as Yom Hasikaron and a rumor that we killed in my episode with Ilanit was that she was to participate with the song Balalaika. Yeah, well, in these days, Jews from uh, Russia should, could not come to Israel because there was the black uh, iron uh, curtain. They didn't allow Jews to go out. And I was asked by our former president, Mr. Shimon Peres, to write a song that uh, shows the, the, the feelings from us to the Jews in Russia that are not allowed to come to. And I was, it was a guy by the name of Yoram Taharlev, who wrote also horror. And I think that Balalaika was a great subject also. And the song was very nice, but uh, Israeli, Israel didn't comp- the, uh, participate in that, you know? Exactly. And... Elanit told me that you still sometime tells her that you wished you competed with it. And now I wonder, did you submit it the year after and offered it to Yardena Arazzi? Yes, actually we offered it to her and she refused because she said it's not, it's not a hit. It's not enough of a hit, which was to- totally stupid because it was a huge hit in Israel. Believe that it could work even because of the Russian sound, sound that I put in it, it could succeed in the, in the Eurovision. Did Yardena Razzi ever recorded it? No, only Ilanit recorded it. And wherever we perform now in Israel, sings the songs, the audience go, go crazy for this. Balagan. Balagan, yes. <laughs> in 1985, you again won the Israeli pre-selection, and this time with the song Ole Ole. We had a, a children festival called Festigal in Israel every year. And yeah. I wrote a song for Ezer with different lyrics, but the same melody. And I already recorded it. The master was done. And Shlomo Tzach heard it 
and said, are you crazy? This is song for this is a song for the Eurovision. Said and it's too late because somebody already invested money in, in, in the recordings and so on. So I said, let me handle it. And he went to the producer of the festival, bought the song of him, bought the master, and now we have to write different lyrics for it. And then we break, was breaking our heads, which word that will we can have that will still have an Israeli meaning and will sound good to, to the people in Europe. And then my secretary, she already passed away also, I'm sorry, Rochale, that was her name, she put her head inside the door and said, I see you arguing, what do you think about Ole Ole? I said, Daddy, I kissed her, I said, because it was a brilliant, because Ole Ole, it's only in, in Spanish, it's Ole Ole, in Hebrew it's rising, rising, rising. Actually, in the when the, before the competition, the people are singing who, which song will, and they are putting money on it. Uh, which song will? You mean the bookmaker believed in you? Yeah, we were in very high places between the first and the third. The, the gambling was on us, and then in the competition, something went wrong with the microphones of the the group that sang with us, and somebody was shouting there, and it killed all the sound and. Anyway, we came fifth or something like this, no? Yes, you did. And the Israeli delegation was very cocky and confident in Gothenburg. I have heard from very many sources, and Itzar admitted it too when I talked to him. Were you disappointed that it ended in a fifth place? Well, I was actually I was disappointed because it was like uh, getting together between a winner of Eurovision and another winner. He is Benabani B and I was Hallelujah. Now doing something together, and we were very hoping that we will win again because it was very close. And actually, I wrote another song for Israel for the for the children festival called Peter Pan. Do you remember anything special from my hometown, Gothenburg? I tell you the truth, not much, because uh, we were very much into rehearsals. Actually, it was something very nice in that competition. It's the first time, usually, they were interviewed the singers before the competition and taking them to places of the tourism in the, in the local country. It's the first time that they took the conductors Nobody even take, took us to see the, the city. You participated with one more song in the Israeli pre-selection in 1985. Do you remember which one? You know what? I don't remember. Mila ve'od mila. Ah, yeah.
This is what kind of imitation of Hallelujah, trying to sing a sing-a-song, sing-along song with Eric Sinai that was very popular at that time in Israel. It was a very handsome kid with a beautiful voice. And I believed in the song because it, people in Israel like to sing along. And of course, Mila, Meod Mila would say nothing to people in Europe, but uh, for Israel it's men. And Ehud Manor wrote it. Ehud Manor who wrote uh, Yabani B. Yes, and it came in fourth in yeah. Kadam. The year after you participated with the song Na'ara by Yehuda Tamir. Yehuda Tamir was a great, I loved his voice very much. He was one of the, I can tell you that when you were touring Europe after Hallelujah, the fans was asking for him, not for Gali. Oh. Where's the guy with the blue eyes? He was asking me, he said, Tell, bring us the guy with the blue eyes. And he had a wonderful voice. And I promised him that after all the balagan that happened with Gali, I will try to, to write a song for him. I believe very much in this song. I believe that I wrote especially a ballad because I didn't see, see any ballads going into your vision the years before it. But, you know, it was an, a year of, uh, of uh, who went, uh, Sari... Moti Giladi and Sarai Tsuriel. That's well, yes. It's a shitty song, I'm sorry. <laughs> the one with the song Javoyum that later ended second to last in Eurovision. It's a shitty song, I'm sorry. Ah, laughing on this uh, shitty song was. Yeah, it wasn't a success. But I must say, I really wished Israel would have sent Rita with the song Shvil Habricha. In my opinion, that is one of the best songs ever from Kedam. Very good song, and, and uh, Rita was in her best that song. 
And uh, it had some, what was good of that song, it has some Greek essence in it. Yeah. In 1987, Shir Habatlanim won in Israel and, from what I understand, created an uproar among some politicians. How bad was the tension, really? Well, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) What I remember from this song, that I get a call from the producer, Yudha Talit. Yeah. He told me, look, I have a, a song that I want you to produce for two people who are not singers, they are theater actors, and both of them were friend of mine. Nathan Dutner was my, I was his musical director. And Kushnir I knew also. So I sent, sent me the cassette. He sent me the, the song, and I listened to it, and I don't believe my ears. Think, this song came into the competition? How come? It sounds like somebody retarded. Singing a I don't know if you ever heard the cassette. The no, do you have it? I don't have it, and I don't want to. Uh, no, the guy is still very sensitive about it. And I called the producer and told him, "Look, this I can do nothing. This is not a song for a competition. This is some, I don't know, King Garden song." So he said, "This is a song that they, they, you have to find a solution. You know, God is with the righteous." In this evening, in the television, they, they broadcast this uh, movie, The Blues Brothers, and I f- immediately knew that I found the musical direction for the song. And in the way I, I, I produced the song in this sense, and the director did it, they did their whole staging on my music production. And it went fantastic. And I'm telling you that Europe was not ready for a comedy song. Because every, all the songs were very serious, or love songs, or whatever. And they did some nonsense on stage, jumping in there. What that mean? But I can tell you this, this week in Belgium was great because Kushner knew how to gibberish in French, but he had a, a French accent so much that people were answering him, he was saying nothing. And we were eating the carpets from laughing. It was a, a whole week. And, and, I, and I remember that we came very good friends with the Island delegation. She, they had a wonderful, beautiful singer she was a beautiful girl, and they, we felt like we are from the same country. We had the same way of talking. We were very good friends. But, you know, it came eight or something like this. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, the duo made a performance to remember with their crazy moves and impeccable timing. And you did your part by conducting it wearing the same type of sunglasses. Yes, yes. We all, well, I was part of the staging. Yeah. Wasn't it hard to conduct in those? No, I just put it before I, and then I took it off and put it on my pocket. Okay. In conduct with it. The song and performance became something of a meme before that concept was even invited. Well, I thought it was fantastic because these two guys were very talented and they could perform like nobody can. No singer could do what they, they, they did. 
So it, it was very easy for me to work with them. And we were, it was a week of laughter. We, we, laughed, we, we didn't stop to laugh the whole week. We didn't care about the competition even. It was so nice. In 1988, it was decided that Jardena Razzi would sing for Israel in Eurovision. And in the national final, she sang four songs. Which one of them was your song? It's called Hero Kedet. She dances. Yeah. And actually, Yardena wanted very much to win. She released an album called The Gypsy a few years before. She wanted to have to, to, have, to be on the same atmosphere. So I wrote this Gypsy song, which was a much bigger hit in Israel than the song that went to the origin. Ben Adam. Ben Adam. But you know, you never know that the, the audience taste. And when you put things to competition, you have to get to accept the results. And it came second in, in the, between the four songs. Do you remember if you submitted more songs for Yardena Razzi to this project? No, I don't think so. I, I did a, a recording with her after 79. She said, she's telling that she was uh, hesitating whether to participate or to be the announcer. And then she decided to be the announcer and, and she was a beautiful girl. She's still very beautiful. And uh, all the people of Europe was astonished by her beautiful beauty. And I offered her to do a song because she, nobody knew that she's a singer also. I mean, she, she was the announcer of the competition, but in Europe they didn't know. So we did a, a song in French, which she speaks French very good, called Fleur de Galilée. And we released it in Germany. It didn't succeed so much, but it was a nice adventure. <laughs> In 1989, you competed with the song Hagvul Hu Hashamayim. So in, in Hebrew, Hagvul Hu Hashamayim is the sky is the limit. And I, I had it with a singer, an Arab singer called Chaya Samir. She had a fantastic alt voice. And after she recorded it, she suddenly got cold legs and she, she pulled out from the competition. So I, I had to, I found a nice girl called Osnat Zano, remember her name? And I believe that the song, you know, I want to tell you a story. Ofa Hazas, who was a very good friend, friend of mine, I think it was in the beginning of the eight, of the 90s. 
came a, a call from Cliff Richards Management to Bezalel Aloni, who was the, the manager of, of Ahaza, that he wants to do a duet with her. So Bezalel Aloni came to me and said, do you have a song? And I remember the song, The Limit, The, the Sky is the Limit, Shamayim, that didn't succeed in Israel because it didn't succeed in the Kedam. And I asked Ehud Mano, that wrote the, the Hebrew lyrics to write in English lyrics, and I sang it with Ofra in this in the demo. And we sent it to England and somehow it didn't succeed. But I can send it to you also. It's called the Map of Love in English. In 1991, you submitted the song Seraxport, but the selection jury didn't accept it. Yes, my, story, my life story. Do that's one with the song Can, and what I understand, it was more like a lullaby from the start before you arranged it. Uzi Hitman was one of the greatest composers. He also passed away when he was 52. He had a heart attack was a great person and very good composer. He wrote very Zionic song, Kan Noladeti, Kan Nolduli Yeladai, Kan Baniti Et Beti. It means, I was born here, my kids were born here, here I built my home. This is my home. But he wrote it as a lullaby song. When I got the cassette with his voice, it was very nice, but I said, with this we cannot go to Eurovision. So I had to produce it differently altogether. I gave it some little bit of Eastern Arabian kind of uh, touch. And I remember, usually when when you come to rehearsals of Eurovision, you first send the score that the orchestra can practice it before you come with the singer. So when I came to Italy a week before, when we came to the rehearsal, I see all the orchestra is rising up and clapping for me. And the, the maestro, the conductor told me, look, we don't know the songs, but your arrangement got the first prize. I was very proud. We were very close also in the competition, and I remember that Carola, that one, remember when she sang, the sound in the house went off. So she, was, she did something very brave. She came out from the stage to the audience and sang live with no microphone. And this gave her many points. I think we came third or two third in this. You came third. She's a very nice girl. I don't know what she's doing. Is she still a singer? Yes, and she is Sweden's biggest artist. What do you say? Yes. So 
So the next year you send Serac Sport again to the national final and this time it got through. Yeah. And Daphna Dekel has been a guest in this podcast too. And she told me that you convinced her to sing it in 1992 because she didn't want to take part first because you wanted to get married in May of 1992. Yeah, well, I thought, look, it's a nice experience. You're going to, in years to come, you're going to look back and see why I hope I'm very happy that I did it because it was a very nice adventure. And she's a very good friend of mine until today. She's a wonderful person and a beautiful lady. I told her that she cannot miss it because it, it will be, in her history, it will be a nice thing to remember. She told us that you told her that it wasn't a chance that Serac Sport would win in Israel. Did you mean that or was it just a trick to get her to sing it? Well, I don't remember this. I remember that the guy who made the staging, Tzedi Tzorfati, where she is a one of the Israeli best directors, he was sure that we are not going to win the Israeli competition. And I, you know, Eud Manor called me up and said, let's write a song for the Eurovision. And he was, he was never tired to write every year a song. So I said to him, Eud, you won the Eurovision, I won the Eurovision, let, let's have the youngest guys to work. Let Give them a chance. He said, no, it's only sport. He said the only sport. I didn't know that he meant to write a song. It's only sport, which is a fantastic idea. And the only mistake I did producing the song, that I gave it South American Latin um, sound. And in, in Sweden, which is a quite cold country, I believe that if, if the competition took place in Spain, it will, go, it, will, it will come in a higher place. Because the sound of it was somehow strange to the ears of white Europe, or cold countries, let's say. I mean, all the Scandinavian part of Europe and, and England, and they, they didn't, I think it was the right thing to do. But you know, you, you were gambling, and you, once you win, once you don't. You ended up in court with this song. Well, it's so funny, you know. Jaroslav Jakubowicz, she's a very uh, good friend of mine and a fantastic musician and a great sax player. He wrote the song and suddenly after the competition, a week after the competition, I got a letter from her lawyer, from the Anata Tzmon, she was singing the, the song, Bachalom. He said, say, we're taking you to court because we don't think that your song is still was long again with 17 seconds. I don't know how did I manage to repeat this. 17 seconds, hallelujah, 17 seconds, are well. And they come and they, they claimed in the court that because I had 17 seconds more than them, the song won, after, otherwise their song would won. The judge just laughed. I'm not going to interfere in this, said what was Decided it's going to stay. In 1993, you competed again in Kadam. Do you remember with what? Anima Amin? No. No. What was it? Adam with Ad. Ah, ah, I love this song. Ah. 
No, he was one of the dancers in Ole Ole. And after the Ole Ole, Shlomo Tzach produced him, and I wrote him, I produced him a sing, song that called Gypsy Lady. It went in Germany, not bad at all. And uh, so I, I came with a rock song, and I believed in this very much because he was very popular at that time. But you know, you think that you have the jackpot, it that doesn't happen. I don't know which place it is. He came third. Third, ah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that if this song would have competed for Israel in Eurovision, you wouldn't have ended second to last with only four points. What, what song went in this year? La Hakachiro. Oi, 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 oi. Disgrace, disgrace. Oh. <laughs> Actually, Adam had a fantastic song in Kadam some years before called Yachad Na'amod. I must tell you, I'm astonished of your knowledge. This is un- incredible. <laughs> Have you been to Israel? Yes, nine times. Wow! In 1994, you were in a Nordic country again, but for a completely different occasion, the Nobel Prize. You, you don't know one, one thing about me, or you do. I was judge in the Estonian pre-competition. You know about it? Yes, it was in 1999 uh, when you chose Diamond of Night. Unbelievable, Emil. Unbelievable. Your knowledge is... <laughs> You have to participate in the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. If, if the questions are about you, I will absolutely do it. <laughs> Israeli songs in Eurovision. <laughs> yes. Well, in 1994, our latest uh, prime minister and our latest president, Paris and Rabin, they won the Nobel Prize for Peace. And the foreign ministry, you know, and after the ceremony, each participants from their country come some artists to perform with something. Yeah. So I was asked by the uh, foreign ministry to write the songs for, for this occasion. And I got a lyrics from a young girl, her name was Dali Shorek. She was 13 years old when she wrote it. In, after the Yom Kippur War in 73, all the uh, schools and kindergartens was asked to, to do the, with the kids work on, on the, this trauma that to release them from, from the fearness of, of the war yeah to write stories to write poems to write to paint paintings 
And this girl wrote a song, which in my opinion, it's the one of the greatest songs, peace songs that ever been written, not by a kid altogether. Imagine a 13 year old girl saying, I don't have red for the, for the blood of the wounded. I don't have white from the pale faces of the dead. I don't have yellow from the burning sands, but I have green for blue. I have blue for blue sky. So I sat down and I painted peace. This is unbelievable. When I saw the lyrics, said, God sent her to me. And I wrote the, the melody and Ofa was my first choice because, and she was already very big in America. So I called her up and I said, look, we owe these two people We've made made the peace treaty with the Palestinians. We owe them. Please come in Israel and record the song with me and come with me to the to Oslo. She said yes immediately. She left everything in Los Angeles. She came to Israel, recorded, and I added to this kids uh, choir, and it was very moving. And she sang it like angel. After the ceremony, usually we are being hosted by the, the king of, of uh, Norway. Of the, of yes, yes, it was in Oslo. People from, from Norway, from Europe, she looks like Queen of Sheba. She was so beautiful with the authentic uh, dresses of Yamanai. And the, the king and his whole family came like kids of groupies to ask her signature. It was a very moving ceremony, and you know what? Afterwards, in the hotel, we came all the hotel, we sat on the lounge, and I was on the piano, and we were sitting with Arafat, with the, all the Palestinian delegation, and singing song together. And I thought, it's, it's the end of the days. This is, we're going to have peace. We still don't have it. 
Why do you think Israel don't have peace with the Palestinians? To tell you the truth, I'm, I was always for this peace. I think, I thought that they should have their own country. We should not rule them because they are different people. Let them rule themselves. And what, when start the terror things, you know what, afterwards with Arafat, he used the fact that Rabin was assassinated to break the, the his successor, Abu Mazen, was offered by our former Prime Minister, Olmert, was offered almost every demand he had, and he refuses. Our Prime Minister, Barak, in America, was giving them everything, almost everything they wanted. We really was gone, and they all refused. They didn't uh, miss any chance to miss. And today it's you know what what you what you see what happens. The Arab countries are fed up with the problem, and they understand that they have to gain from Israel so much. Then they have they have only money. We have technologies. We have digital things. We have agriculture very developed, and they understood that if you're going to still be hostile to Israel, they're going to lose. So they said enough with the Palestinians. Let them solve their problem at all. And now we're going to, they have put aside, and I'm very worried for them because these people there, leaders are making all the balagan. They don't have to suffer from the stupidity of the leaders. Our leaders also, the, 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 the one who is there now, he is making every mistake in the book and then leading Israel to a catastrophe, especially now with the corona time. We are in a deep shit. Did, did I answer your question? Yes, you did, and I'm very thankful for that. We talked about Ofra Hassa before, and she sadly passed away in 2000, but left us with many good songs. In my opinion, probably, you, you said it before, it was a voice of an angel, and I totally agree. stupid thing. She was ashamed that she was ill and instead of coming and getting the good treatment, she would save her for sure. She hid it, she hid it at, at, uh, when, when she came to the hospital, it was too late. You know, I was culture affair, culture consul for Israel in the West Coast of America for four years. Started from 2000. She passed away in February 12, 2000. Yeah. In December 1999, I was still in Israel, she called me up and said, I got a song from UN, from UNICEF. They want me to produce a song for the kids of UNICEF. And you want to produce it with me? I said, send me the song. And of course we'll do it. And, and she was, she sounded very, I mean, I didn't feel anything. She was very ill at that time. I didn't feel anything. I said, send me the cassette, send me the recording, and we'll, we'll, we'll work on it. Of course I want to do it with you. And that is the last time I spoke to her. I loved her very much. She was a very special singer and very special person. 
What happened with the song for UNICEF? Nothing, because she, she never came, she never sent me the recording. She was so ill at that time also, she didn't have, to, she couldn't do nothing. Uh, months afterwards, she went, came to the hospital and after 10 days she passed away. In 1995, you competed with uh, Batelavisia Halayla by C. Haiman. Batelavisia Halayla, yes. But from what I can see, you haven't competed since. Has this been a conscious choice from your side, or did your songs just stop getting accepted? No, I didn't. I didn't write afterwards. No, I didn't uh, participate. I thought. I had enough of it. I, 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 I was five times in the Eurovision. Enough is enough, you know. And the whole competition turned to be something that I dislike very much. They took off the orchestra, they, everything was playback, and the song became very small part of the performance. Now there are all crazy people jumping in on the stage, and it's, it's a television show which is very nice. The production, the television productions are great. If the song used to be 80% of the performance and the rest of it 20%, now it's the other way around. The song is 20% and 80% is the performances and the lightning and the, all the effects. No song has remained from the last 10 years. Maybe only the song with the Austrian uh, man or woman, what's the name, Conchita. Yeah, Rise Like a Phoenix. Yeah, that was a good song. Are there any refused songs that you have submitted to Kdam that you can reveal to us? I was I was hoping that you would reveal it. I don't <laughs> there was another song that you missed in the Kdam, Anima Amin. I think it was in uh, 1989. In English, it's I Believe. Okay, no, I missed that one. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> I, I believe very much in this song because it had uh, the lyrics was very strong. What was what song when when Derech Hamelech? Oh, boy, another fiasco! Oh, with this small kid that was shouting Derech Hamelech. Often. Here in Sweden, many time conductor Anders Berglund has spoken rather vocally against the decision to remove the orchestra from the competition. Do you, as a fellow conductor, agree with him? I mean, completely on him and his view, because this was was something very festive about having a huge orchestra and everything was live and performed on the spot, not playback, not television uh, effects, no, everything was pure music. And on those times, every country should sing in their own language. So you could see many, many cultural sounds coming from Italy, from Greece, from Spain. The, the many colorful languages made the Eurovision a meeting of cultures from all over, all over Europe. It was, was the real meaning why the Eurovision was established, to culture-wise getting together and everybody brings his own 
It's like you you do your festival of food. Each country comes with their own food. It was fantastic. And then suddenly everybody starts singing in English. Even the Turkish and the Greece, it was so absurd for me, in my opinion. And the, and the fact that they took the orchestra, I don't know what the reason. Maybe budget-wise, but I think that the, the huge television productions they're doing now cost much, much more than the orchestra. I realize that some of our younger listeners may not even have a perfect grasp of what a conductor is and does. And even we who were around in the days of the orchestra probably don't have an accurate image of the full scale of this noble profession. But I guess there must be lots more to it than looking sharp and randomly waving with a stick. Can you please describe for us all the work you did as a conductor? First of all, nowadays every arranger has a computer. You can hear all your score before you put it on stage. One of the greatest excitements for me all the time was putting the, my, my mind on a paper and hope very much that what I had imagined would be would come to be true on, on stage. The, the moment I rose my hands and did this and the music came, when it felt like I what I did really, I was in heaven. First of all, for me, conducting orchestra is the most exciting, exciting action in music. More than writing music, more than everything, because you have something coming from your brain and you suddenly come to life with, and the sound is coming to your face and it's so beautiful and uh, you feel like God, I'm telling you, you feel like you, you're doing it and, and it spreads around and, and it's, it's a wonderful feeling. That's why they're asking me, why did you go five times to Eurovision? First of all, for this fact, because in Israel, how many times do I have the chance to conduct such a big orchestra? There's no budget for this, no time. Only on uh, maybe one or two occasions a year. Coming to Europe, I was astonished to the professional skill that I got as, as a conductor. For example, in, in uh, Ole Ole in, in Oslo. In Gothenburg, in Gothenburg. In Gothenburg, yes. Uh, I, we had a rehearsal, then I came out to the control room and I sat with the director and he said, whatever, and he, the guy, the director of the show knew how, knew how to read the score, which is not very simple. And I told him, look, what you did all in general was very good, but it was two parts of it. I told him this place, the cello section is doing this, and I want you to show that because not every time, when, when you see it, you hear it also. And when you don't see it, you're not sure you hear it. As a, as a listener, when you look at the television, so many information come from the screen. So the music is the last thing that you, you, your eye is working first before your ear. And every remark I did, I had to, to, to I told him, was made on the accurate on the second rehearsal. I was astonished by it because I didn't have it in Israel. For me, every time, and to meet conductors from the world, to speak with them, and to meet singers and musicians, the, fe the feeling was great. That's why I did it five times. And if it was going like this, you ask me why I, fin I closed, I finished, because I didn't, want, I didn't find myself in writing a song. It's not, it's not the, the, the thing. Singing is participating. 
to be together with other musicians, with other conductors, to feel the, their culture. That's all gone away. As we have heard during this show, you have had lots of songs in the running for Eurovision over the years. And if we don't limit ourselves to Eurovision, I know that you have written over a thousand songs in total. What are you doing today in your life, Corby? Today I'm sitting at home doing nothing because, you know, we are not allowed to go out right now. But I, we, we hold the, the whole artist of Israel, we started to perform in a small places in yards for 30 people. I, I had last week two performances at the elderly houses yeah. for elderly people, which they are isolated very much. And for them to see and to hear songs, it's beautiful. And I tell you the truth, I don't know professionally and even economically what will happen with me because nobody knows what, how, when are we going to get out of this disease. We don't know, we don't, we, it's getting worse and worse every day. Instead of finding a solution, it's getting worse. A million people are out of work in Israel now. Situation is very, very difficult. I'm using my, my savings now. You see, I'm not a young, a young person anymore. I'm 76 years old. Trying to keep a good mood. And this conversation with you is, is one of these things. My friend. It was a pleasure for me also, Emil. I was astonished to see your knowledge. Really, you are one of a kind. I'm so proud and thankful that you are listening, writing to me and sharing my episodes on your social media. You can contact me with suggestions, questions, opinions or whatever you feel like by emailing me at email at schlagervanerna.se or through Eurovision Legends on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe so you're always updated with new episodes. I'm Israel Chai. Amen. I must say before we end this, when I was young, I found my mother's records. It was ABBA, it was Bakara, it was Bonnie M, and it was Gariatari with Milk and Honey. And I was too young to appreciate Hallelujah when I was five years old. But Goodbye New York was my absolutely favorite song. Oh, so you, your mother is intelligent. Hello for me. You just touch a very 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 painful point in my uh, history two times i missed one with uh, stick anderson and second with milk uh, and honey nobody gets two two chances two big chances in their life and they, when they miss it it's too late but you know i'm here i'm still alive and uh, everything is good where are you living where are you now in gothenburg ah in gothenburg yeah. so you are in, you are in uh, norway no, no, Gothenburg is in Sweden. Was, I thought always that we were in Norway. No, we were in Sweden? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to tell you a story about the Zerak Sport. You want to hear? Yes, yes, please tell me. When we got out from the airport in, in Tel Aviv, I met some religious guy who made me put the tefillin. You know what's tefillin? It's the Jewish thing with the thing in the, in the forehead. Yeah. And after when he finished, he gave me a dollar and he said, wherever you go, give it to a poor person. So when we went to Malme, in Malme, everybody is rich. Nobody is poor. So I didn't know who to give the dollar. 
And <laughs> my producer, the Swedish producer, she took me to see her uh, mate. She was from Poland. So I gave her the dollar, and so I released myself from the... I was, it was on my head. I have to give it, otherwise God will punish me. All right. Have a, have a, have a great weekend. And talk to you soon. Yes, we do. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I dream about the magic mystery.